New York area listeners, just a reminder, Andrew Talks to Chefs is doing our first live show at the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. Join us at the Bell House in the Gowanus neighborhood of Brooklyn on Saturday, January 12th at 2.30 p.m. with special guests Tom Colicchio, Greg Backstrom, Alex Raj, and Alan Harding, plus a live performance of our theme music and other songs by the Brooklyn-based band Fathers. Tickets are $15, but with the promo code ANDREW, they are yours for just $10. Visit ATTC, that's short for Andrew Talks to Chefs, attcbkpodfest.eventbrite.com, or if that's too long to remember, visit the event page on my blog, tokeland.com slash appearances. Hope to see you there. The Heritage End of Year Fund Drive is officially on. Become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. I'm Massimo Bottura. Hi, this is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs on Heritage Radio. My first day walking into there, I'm supposed to teach the prep crew. And every single one of those people was from Mexico. None of them, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. spoke English. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. Right. So this is going to be a tough first day. So I came in the second day with a Spanish-English dictionary in my hand. And I said, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's cook some French food. And then, wouldn't you know it, when I took the time to understand them, they took the time to understand me. Mm-hmm. Everyone started opening up. And the people that I thought couldn't speak any English... Started speaking a little bit of English Interesting. to me. And that began me on my path to develop my management style as well. That is Chef Alex Harris of Emma's Torch Restaurant in Brooklyn, New York. Our guest today on Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman, and I am bringing you the first of four bonus episodes. The season at Heritage has officially ended. The offices are closed for the holiday season and our holiday hiatus. But as some of you know, I have a backlog of episodes. I've been working my way through this season. And with the help of our trusty engineer, Vitor, And another member of the Heritage team, Kat Johnson, who's volunteered to post these episodes during her vacation, we're going to be dropping them on Wednesday and Saturday until they're all used up, which should be the weekend prior to New Year's. Today's episode is an interview that I thought was especially appropriate to the Christmas weekend. It's with Chef Alex Harris. And I think of this time of year as the giving season. And Alex has got to be one of the most giving chefs I know, he is involved with a really interesting project. It's less than a year old. It's called Emma's Torch. And Emma's Torch, some of you may know that's a a reference to the torch of the Statue of Liberty. Emma's Torch is a cooking school, language school, and job placement agency, essentially, for refugees. They have a multi-week program. They teach students English language, Then they spend time on the line in the restaurant, and then they get kicked out of the nest, and the restaurant helps place them 
in jobs. And that's, I think, an amazing thing. I thought it was especially appropriate to hold this episode until Christmas weekend. So Alex is the chef of this project. He's somebody I did not know before. We have a mutual friend who told me about the project, and I wanted to get in and interview him. He's a great guy. He's this gentle, thoughtful guy who has a very interesting backstory. He went to school for engineering and then was on a very lucrative pathway in the pharmaceutical industry of all places before deciding to switch to the kitchen. He worked for some prominent places in Philadelphia. He spent time with Danny Meyer's Union Square Hospitality Group in New York City, and now he's given himself over to this project. We met at Emma's Torch in the back office, and the place just has the most amazing vibe. If you've ever, you know, volunteered for a political campaign, if you've ever done work at any place that does uh, not-for-profit work, there's oftentimes this, it sounds corny, but a very sort of special vibe that you just don't get in regular places or regular places of business. And this place has that in spades. It's just wonderful. And we met in the back office and we did an interview. I don't really think I need to say anything more about it. We get into his whole life in great detail. And that's all I'm going to say about it. So with that, here is my interview with Chef Alex Harris, recorded at Emma's Torch Restaurant in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, just after the Thanksgiving holiday. Here you go. You're the first person I've sat down with since Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was great. Uh, were you guys open? No, we were not. Uh-huh. Uh, so we, <laughs> yeah, we wanted to stress uh, the importance of uh, our restaurant family yeah. uh, and as well being with our actual families. Yeah. So we decided to close the restaurant for the entire week oh so that gosh. everyone could spend time with their families. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you could say that in your career? Never. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been cooking how long? Uh, I've been cooking Ballpark. since 2005. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, well, good for you. Yeah. How'd you enjoy your time off? Uh, it was great. Did Got you it. actually manage to stay away from this place or? Uh, ah, <laughs> um, I did come in, yeah, you know, one day, but, um, you know, I got a, a good amount of time to spend with my, uh, my family, nice. my sisters, my nice. niece and nephews. Nice. So, did you yeah. go back home? Yeah, home is Jersey. So yeah, not oh Jersey. Far away. I thought you yeah, were yeah. from Philly. Am I wrong about that? I, you know, I spent the first part of my career in oh, Philly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but you didn't grow up in Philly. Correct. Got it. Okay. Well, let's go through it. You, you, you are. Um, I guess you're what we would call a career changer. I you, am. You a did not changer. grow up. Uh, with an eye on the kitchen, with like uh, that wasn't your bullseye. That wasn't where you were headed. Subconsciously. Oh, subconsciously. You yeah, think it was? I, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So um, we're in Jersey. So I grew up in uh, the Rutgers area, is how okay. I say it to people who uh-huh. aren't from around there. But okay. uh, South Plainfield, okay, um, largely is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the suburbs. Yeah. Nothing, you know, spectacular or special, right. but it's home. It's great. Uh huh. Yeah. Did you come into the city much, like New York much? Yes, when you were my a kid? dad. Growing up, my dad worked in New York. Okay, um, that's another one of those uh, big moments in my culinary career because my dad spent a lot of time entertaining. So that not entertaining cooking at home, entertaining taking clients, clients out. Uh huh. What kind of so work was that, he in? He was uh, accountant. Okay. And assistant controller okay. at um, 
uh, one of the divisions of uh, Gannett. Okay. So USA Weekend. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. That's a newspaper company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what that opened him up to was this whole culinary slash nightlife scene in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all also Nick fans. Okay. Um, growing up. Still now, but to a lesser extent because yeah. I've been so miserable. Uh-huh. Um, uh, as well, so we had season tickets to see the Knicks. So he would entertain, get turned on to a lot of restaurants and things. And then when I came into the city with him at Knicks games, we would walk around. He'd show me around. This is, you know, the area around my my job. Yeah. And then on the weekends, occasionally, especially when uh, I was getting older, yeah, we would go out to restaurants in the city. Right. And that kind of showed me, you know, what nightlife and things were sure. like, you know, yeah. inside of the city. Uh-huh. Um, what kind of restaurants did he take you to? Huh. Do you remember any? Did anything? Even if it wasn't an, a particular name, like when you think just like this, you know, the images that come to your mind, were they were they French? Were they New American? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were so they downtown? Remember, remember the timing, right? Yeah. So this is the early 90s, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, this there was, was a lot of French. exciting time in New York yeah, City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So it was all it was always, you know, some finer yeah. um casual yeah. places. Yeah. Um Yeah. Good times. You liked always. it. You're brightening as you talk yeah, about this. Yeah, absolutely. This is um, what you mean when you say it was like it, it was uh it was uh back there somewhere. Yes, because yeah. as well, one of my first loves was French. Um so coming coming to the city and visiting these French or classically French inspired restaurants Mm -hmm. was like a dream come true, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been to France, you know, uh, in high school, and Mm -hmm. now I'm coming, you know, while I'm home, I'm studying French, and I'm going out to French restaurants in the big city in New York. You know, it was was just... Menus were in French, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Waiters had the accent working. Yeah, 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 all that. You had a thing for France as a kid? Yes, yes, I did. Um, Do you know where that came from? Yes, it came from my sister. So, uh... My sister was one of my early idols, mm-hmm. right? Every, you know, little brother tags on, you know, their their older sibling, mm-hmm. right? And I was no exception. Um, what was the age difference? Four years. Okay. So everyone, whether it be middle school or yeah. then high school, yeah. everybody knew my name from right. my sister. You were so, what was her They name? knew it was What's coming. Her? Michelle. You were Michelle's little brother. I was Michelle's little yeah, brother, right? right? Yeah. So uh, That's good and bad, right? I mean, it was it was always good. It was always good. Yes. Okay. I have a little I have a younger brother and he was yeah. always Andrew's brother. He hated that. So But it also made people feel, you know, like people knew him, yep. introduced themselves to him. I had a lot of yeah. friends yeah. in new and different times yeah. because they knew my sister. Right. Um so yeah, my sister took French. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Hey, I'm going to take French." Mm-hmm. And that was it. I had two really great French teachers. So well, I would consider friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they just kind of opened the book for this new culture for yeah, me. Yeah. And language is something that came fairly naturally to me mm-hmm. in, in French. You know, mm-hmm. some languages are difficult, but um, French came fairly natural. Uh-huh. I loved the culture. Yeah. And, and that was it. She continued on to take higher levels. And then because I liked it and she did it. So did I. How well did you speak when at your peak? Did you speak it really? Like if you went to France and you spoke to somebody there, did they respond in English or French? 
I am not one to pick up accents uh-huh. while I can pick up the language. So my Spanish is gringo sounding Spanish. My French is the same. So you can tell you that tell. I'm from the United right. States. But you, but you, knew I can the, speak you the language. You had a great vocabulary. I you minored knew the grammar. It, I minored in, in school as well. I had a pen pal for 11 years. Wow. Um, I studied abroad um, in college. Yeah. And... Uh, after college, my sister got married in uh, in Florence. Oh, wow. So on the way there, I stayed with my pen pal okay. for a few oh, how days. How cool was that? Took a train over into awesome. Italy. So yeah, I mean, I spoke the language yeah. well enough, yeah. better than I speak it now. Yeah. Um, but it's coming back more and more, you know, as I continue to use right. uh, my French sure. in my current job. Do you? I'm just curious because I recently had on the show uh, Tanya Holland who majored in Russian language and literature in college. She was also a career switcher. And I asked her this question, but I'll ask it to you. Do you find a similarity in what you learn or pick up almost by osmosis, right? When you learn a language as you do from the cuisines of different places. Do you draw a connection between those two things? I would say absolutely. And that's what, and this is what I tell a lot of people. This is what helps me teach uh, culinary skills. It is my my focus and my uh, ability to teach French. Um, I take the principles or I guess the, the way that I taught that and I apply them to cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so far it seems like it's, it's working. Now, if I'm... If I'm understanding what you're saying, you what that means to me is you learn so in language you learn words, right? So that would be rudimentary skills in a kitchen. Then you learn how to put those words together into sentences. That might be simple preparations. Am I understanding right? A, a little bit. So I, I'll say it this way, right? You crawl, mm. and then you walk, mm-hmm. and then you run, mm-hmm. right? This is how it happens in language, right? So in, in language, you start with a few common types of verbs. You learn how to conjugate those, let's say, three verbs. Mm-hmm. And then that opens the doors to an entire vocabulary mm-hmm. of action words, right, mm-hmm. that are similar. At the same time, you learn vocabulary, mm-hmm. right? It's the same when I'm teaching um, culinary skills here at MS Torch. We start with a few basic concepts. These basic concepts are written into the majority of the recipes that I try to write. As an example, hey, these are important concepts. Mm-hmm. Then I throw away the recipe and I say, hey, the goal is to understand this concept we have many different recipes that have this concept. Mm-hmm. So understand that you can cook many different things if you understand this concept. Yeah. At the same time, we're teaching the new vocabulary of the kitchen. And that encompasses so many different things yeah. that we as native English speakers take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's what I mean when I say I apply yeah. the same things learning a language in... The two, teaching culinary. The two things that come to mind from, from my own experience is one was 
and this is the goal with anything, right? It's the goal with athletics. It's the goal with cooking. It's the is is for things to become automatic, right? So repetition, right, is very but very also important. To instinct to develop to get to the point where. So when I used to take Spanish in high school, and I got really, I was with Spanish the way you were with French. Mm-hmm. I was, grew up in Miami, Florida. My stepmother, oh, yeah. my late stepmother, was Cuban. Okay. Uh, it, it, I had jobs in department stores in the summer. Customers would just start talking to you in Spanish. I mean, I it was helpful to know Spanish. Yeah. It was said to me that I really knew Spanish when I could. I was thinking in Spanish. Absolutely. When I wasn't converting an English sentence in my head. When I was just communicating in Spanish. Right. So it's the the figurative muscle memory, yes. right, of speaking that language or fluency. And if you want to is, go the other way, yeah. right? So I use a term uh, food fluency when right. I when I talk about someone who's able gets to a point where they're able to improvise when they're composing their own dishes. I think of that as fluency, yep. right? They they they've become so um, connected to the food; it's become such a part, an extension of them that they can they can communicate in a certain way through food mm-hmm. or that they can manipulate food in, in their own way. It's the same thing yeah. that we're trying to teach here. Yeah. Okay. Understand the principles that I'm showing you inside of this food. Understand my sense of taste. Remember, or right, commit to muscle memory, all of the things that we're doing day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Once you understand those things, and have the muscle memory, then you can begin to think about how you can apply these things that we're doing in American cuisine to the things that you do in your country Mm, or the things that you use in your country. I start that conversation on day one Mm -hmm. and continue that conversation all the way through to the end where they're making their menus for their graduation event. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. So you... Get out of college. Am I, I want to make sure I have it right. You mm-hmm. you spent some time in the pharmaceutical industry? So, yes. <laughs> this is another uh, smile. <laughs> Tell, what, what, the, what, did, what did you think you were going to do with your life before you found your calling? So, I spent five years doing my undergrad. It gave me a lot of opportunities, one, mm-hmm. of, one of which that I, I spoke of before. It allowed me to take many more French classes. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to minor in French. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to have some time to study abroad. Yeah. Um, it also afforded me the time to focus a little bit more about what my other passion was, mm-hmm. which was vaccines. Um, I met and then was able to uh, study with my uh, research advisor, one of my early uh-huh. mentors. Um, I spent some time after college um, working in her lab group, um, working in cell culture. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to work in vaccines. I love this field of what we, what's called biologics. Can you explain this? First of all, can you explain what that is? And second of all, what was your passion for this? So, um, if you can explain it, sometimes you can't explain a passion a little bit. Um, Sometimes it's just an attraction to something that's instinctual, right? Early on in college, um, I was majoring in chemical engineering. Mm -hmm. Didn't really know what that meant. You know, just like anything else, you say a subject, this is what I want to go into, but Mm -hmm. who really knows how it's applied until you're actually doing it. Um, so, uh, I went to this career fair and who was there, but Merck. Right. Um, 
And they put on this slideshow. Yeah. Once again, sign of the times, right? They did this show about the discovery of Crixivan. And that's when I Which just... Which is what? Crixivan was one of the early HIV slash AIDS oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, drugs. Um, and just watching that whole process in that five-minute slideshow and listening to how they talked about it. I was hooked. I was like, you were this is what, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to take this field of study and apply it to medicine. Wow. And it wasn't very common. Chemical engineering, you know, yeah, yeah, old yeah. school is working in the petroleum industry and yeah. things like that. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, working with materials. I was in Delaware uh, where I did my undergrad. Yeah. So um, Gore was, or Gore and DuPont okay. were two Big ones, DuPont, big name when you go yeah, to Delaware. Yeah. Um, and they don't do anything with medicine. Um, but hmm. here comes Merck. Right. And kind of, okay, now I've got my focus. Yeah. This is where I want to go. This yeah. is what I want to do. So I minor in biology as well. Okay. Um, Were you so good at it? Biology? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could do that in my sleep. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was, so the one thing that did come hard to me was yeah. my actual engineering classes, which is why it took me five years. Um but it taught me a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Once again, the things that went into my teaching style, being an engineer, going through that process. Because engineering is about nothing else but teaching you how to think and teaching you how to design things. Um, which was really, really important in you know, everything that I did since. Yeah. How to solve problems. How to, Critical thinking. Is That's it not important in anything that you do. Absolutely. But, it, but the, the two things you said it's about are connected, right? It's, Correct. It's about, it's about the, the, the designing is to make real the thought that you had. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's weird. I just quoted him on a recent show. It's not like I go around quoting this F. Scott Fitzgerald all the time. But he had a line. It was, I think, about writing, although I don't think he the actual sentence used the word writing, but he said, genius is the ability to put into effect what is in your brain, right? Yeah. And I th always thought that was a really great definition of something. And I, it came to me when you just explained what engineering is, yeah. right? Because if you have, uh, the more ambitious your idea and, you're, and the ability to realize it, that would make you, that would be greatness in engineering. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. Um, It'd also be true in cooking though. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay. So how far did you get down that down that path? Oh, I mean, uh I got my bachelor's. Yeah. I was doing some uh postgraduate work in um that lab. Yeah. Um, which was a salt culture lab. Okay. So I was getting some good experience as well. Yeah. And then um my mentor, she said, Hey, I have this friend. She was my mentor. Um, she's going to be going to Merck, mm -hmm. um, working in this lab group. Mm -hmm. Why don't you try and get a job over there? I can introduce you to some people. She helped me with that. Um, and I got into, um, development, mm -hmm. uh, a development group in Merck, um, working on a yet to be, um, to the public, um, it was a phase three or four at the time, uh, clinical trial drug. It mm. was for the rotavirus. So it's for oh, the rotavirus wow. vaccine. Okay. Um, Stage three or four of what? How many stages to unveil? Oh, for clinical trials? Yeah. 
once you're done with four, you're oh, so it was close. Out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I worked through that yeah. there. Um, it was a great experience. Once again, it, you know, I met a lot of great people. Allowed me to do some amazing things in my life. Led me to another good turning point, um, which was my leaving there. Unfortunately, leaving uh-huh. development and working in quality out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. At Wyeth. Okay. So now, a competitor. Can you, uh, my my father's family's from Philly, so I know Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay, great. I love. Can Lit. you explain to people what Lancaster, what Lancaster, what Lancaster, Pennsylvania is like? So Lancaster is the Amish country, right? right? So that was great. Once again, another great turning point. I met a lot of uh, good friends mm-hmm. who taught me a little bit about myself. Um, I cooked a lot as mm-hmm. a single man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very adventuresome as well, right? I loved French. So I cooked as much, as many French things as possible. I like to entertain at my place. Mm-hmm. I like to cook at other people's places when, you know, they had events. Um, so, you know, they would, they would call me chef and tell me, you know, this is what you should do, blah, blah, blah. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about it. You know, I talked about it with a very good friend of mine, you know, at home, but I don't know if it's something that I'm going to do right now. Should mm-hmm. I, you know, keep thinking about it because it's probably somewhere that, you know, you're going to want to be at some point in your life. Interesting. It's like, okay, great. People felt um, like you had a gift and you clearly, they must have seen that you, you if you don't want me saying, people can't see this on obviously on a podcast, you, you, um, your emotions are on your sleeve. Absolutely. Oh, well, that much is clear. It's, if we're you talking, me, you, yes. it's very <laughs> clear what's important to you. It's very clear what's been moving to you in your life. It's very clear what was exciting to you. It, it, all these different things are very um, well expressed by facially. That's one thing that I know about myself and that's been said to me very often. Yeah. I can't hide my face. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. If, no, it's if very there's striking. something that I'm yeah. feeling, yeah. It's, it's on there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but so the, so your friends could tell when you were cooking that there was a a real joy Absolutely. in it for you. Yeah. Okay. And they obviously thought you had the chops. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the food yeah. out there. In, I was going to ask. Lancaster. Was the product because that's farm country? Yeah. Was the pro- were the products amazing? So here's the thing: it's not it's not really the produce that got me out there. It was another one of my loves, right? And so I, I talk about a lot of things that I love, um, which is weird. Um, but. Um, the cheese out there and okay. dairy is absolutely amazing. Mm. So that's one of the things that's striking. Even when, you know, we took a trip out to the Amish country when I was in middle school, that's one of the first things that hits you. You have a glass of milk when you sit down at that restaurant. That's not the stuff in the carton. No. Yeah. It sure is not the stuff in the carton. Yeah. It's something totally different. Right. So you're turned on to, you know, the Amish and the Pennsylvania Dutch and the different types of pastries, once again, dairy, different types of pastries that yeah. they make out there. The butter is different. The milk is different. The cream is different. And cheese making, that was something that, that really struck me. These are Alpine-style cheeses that you get in Alsace and Germany, you know, um, it's very, very, very wild. Did they have those names? Like, was it like Appenzeller and they had a lot of names kind of like that. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of those typical names from out there that you would think they were. They were all over there. They're not stereotypical. That's what's out there. Yeah. So it, it was so very great. interesting, yeah. and you know, one of those culinary, you know, awakenings, you know, I had out there. Did you um, interact at all with the Amish? I mean, I, what, when you, was it pretty separate that way, or did? Uh, um, 
only in a retail setting, you know, yeah. going to a farm stand right. or all of my furniture. They, they do uh -huh. great woodworking yeah. working out there. Yeah. So my first, you know, becoming an adult, my first uh, kitchen table and dining room right. set, that was all, you know, bought from, you know, the Amish yeah. stand on the side of the road, yeah. you know, in cash. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great. That's so funny that you say becoming an adult because I always thought it was like, you know, when you finally decide you're going to own stuff that's not going to like either stay behind right? or be on the curb, <laughs> the curb the next time you move. That's definitely one of the rites of passage. Yeah. Okay, so how do you decide you to actually stick your toe in the in the chef world or the cooking world? This is going to sound behind. This is going to sound a little corny. Yeah. And at the same time, very real. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people can connect with this. I read two books. Mm-hmm. I read both of them in about three days, and the two books are. Michael Roman's Soul of a Chef, mm. taking him through the CIA program. I said, wow, this culinary school thing is no joke. That's awesome. I yeah. want to do that. Yeah. And then I read Kitchen Confidential. Um, and makes me sad, kind of. <laughs> sad oh, that. think I, about I, him. You know, I've, talked uh, to, I've talked about Tony with three different people yeah, today. Obviously, Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Um, I read that book in a little over a day. And I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Hmm. There's nothing more real than working in that environment. And all of the specific things, how grimy and everything that it is right. that he's talking about, yeah, the guys that who didn't talk like to pirates yeah, and all that stuff. That yeah. isn't what, what spoke to me. Yeah. Because that's not really, you know, I didn't grow up in the, you know, Lower East Side during the times that he's talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But like just the the way that he speaks about the environment. Um, was just, you know, it sounds brutal. The work, yeah. but also the camaraderie. Exactly. Right? That's, what, that's what really got me. And then on top of it all, going through all of that, coming out on top in the end. Like, you can, you can do it. Well, yeah, I, you he know, wrote from, that, from he was anywhere. Like 40 when he wrote that book, yeah. you know? And he had, yeah, he had had substance issues and, yeah, and got, and got through it all. The question I have for you, though, is it's so, you know, when you talk about the environment, right, it's hard, you, you know, you, you think about the kitchen the way it's presented in that book, and you think about the setting you were in, which I really don't know anything about, but the words, words like sterile come to mind for me. Yeah. You know, words yeah. like... Yeah, that's exactly what I was in. Sanitized come to mind yeah, for me, that's right? That was a big part of my life. It's, it's, it couldn't be more different. And, pro was, and the personality types couldn't and, be more different. And yet... The environment is a little bit the same, right? Yeah. So I wanted to work in French kitchens, yeah. right? Yeah. Think about your stereotypical, you know, French kitchen yeah. environment. Yeah. It's a clean environment, mm -hmm. right? Clean kitchen makes a happy chef. Right. Actually, I just quoted that today. Yes. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of, you know, taking care of things and, um, you know, the level of detail that you want to take in how you take care of your environment. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's kind of a through line between working in a, a you know, a, a clean room yeah. in yeah, a yeah. production facility yeah. and working in a kitchen but and working in a fine kitchen, you know, sure. There yeah. are dirty oh, you know, sure. places, but there's also some 
kitchens that turn out really fine food that are dirty kitchens. Yes. But here's what I wanted to ask you, because I had a moment in my life where I, I, you know, it's not what I wanted to be doing, but I was paying the rent as a publicist and accidentally became, it was a rest, it was a firm that specialized in restaurants and chefs. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got into your world, right? So I had a lot of passion for it. I was becoming friends with all my clients. And accidentally, what I intended to just be a day job that would let me pay the rent, go home and write, I was a VP at this place, right? Wow. And then, um, but it wasn't because I liked PR. I just like the in- your industry, right. right? And I was the next person at this agency who would have been a partner, okay? These people, they sold that company. They all have houses in the Hamptons, you know? But I wanted to be a writer. And there was a day where it became, I couldn't, resist that anymore right and i gave notice and they knew it was i had told them there was going to come a day um but you know there is this sort of other reality i think about right like it would have been an easier more comfortable life i wouldn't be going job project to project you know and i've been very fortunate you know i work a lot you were in a city i I don't know what the numbers are i'm not asking you but you had to be on your path on a path to some yeah, serious so coin, right? I had, I had. All of which so is to say, was it, a, that, was it, a, was it on that level? Was it a hard decision, or was the draw so powerful that it just? For so, me, it was so powerful. It just, I, I don't regret. I never really regret it for a second. I think my wife might regret my decision. Here's how but, it went. Yeah, right. Does that question make sense? It, absolutely, and I'll tell you the whole story. Right. So, I was leaving. Yeah. Um. Wyeth and going back to work uh, to work in production mm. um, on the same vaccine that I did development on. Um, and, uh, you know, I had finished reading that book, you know, Kitchen Confidential. Yeah. And that was my moment. Okay, I'm looking at culinary schools now. I'm talking to my buddy and I'm saying, okay, this is really going to happen. So let's really talk about what this experience is like. Yeah. My, you know, my new life as I start working in uh, the industry mm-hmm. and, you know, personally thinking about saving money in my next job. Yeah. Um, I worked that job for two years. Mm-hmm. I'm working um, nights. So I, I start working in that job and then shortly after start going to culinary school. I'm in uh, Lansdale, Pennsylvania now, back at, at mm-hmm. West Point, uh, Merck. And I'm going to the restaurant school in Philadelphia. Um, up near uh, Drexel. Okay. Um, so I'm doing that every day. And another sign of the times, um, the pharmaceutical industry was getting a little funky. This is, you know, around 2000, 2002, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, hey, you know, um, maybe I don't want to continue on this path. Yeah. And I want to get into cooking earlier than I thought I would. I'm around 25 years old. I thought I'd be cooking around 35 years old, right? So I'm, I finally make the decision to jump in with both feet, right? You know, I think about it. I talk it out. I say, I can't be successful in my next job if I do it with my head turned, mm-hmm. looking back to what if I stayed in the other one. Yes, it's a decision you have to make with your head and your heart. I was making close to $80,000 a year. I'm contemplating leaving that job to make $7 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I think about it with a smile on my face yeah. because, like I said to my students, you know, just today, there's no place that I would rather be than working in that kitchen environment mm-hmm. than in, you know, if the the um, alternative is working in this office slash corporate, you know, production environment. Yeah. No way. I leave in a heartbeat. And I did. April Fool's Day is when I gave Matt two weeks notice. Oh, that's funny. It is hilarious. Was um, that but, intentional? And it's what I did. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> and it's not meant to, it wasn't meant to offend anyone. No. Yeah. But I kind of personally thought it was a little bit amusing. It's pretty funny. And, um, yep. you know, my time there was done. Yeah. Um, I had done good work there, but once again, I was working third shift, um, which is midnight to 8 a.m. It's kind of the forgotten man, you know, and I was feeling like that. So it was was my time to go. Okay. So I left. Okay. Um, Now, how soon after you get into, like, you know, the cooking school, starting to, I don't know if there was an externship or whatever, but at what point were you really sure you had made the right decision? Was that immediate? Yes, I did them all at the same time. So I was working that midnight shift. Mm-hmm. I was going to culinary school at night before that midnight shift. I was working in a kitchen before I was going into culinary school. Got it. So for a period of close to two years, I probably slept about three hours a day. During the day? Yeah. So you were on, usually a, you were on around, a vampire schedule. Yeah, usually yeah. around... Yeah. 12 or 2 o'clock, I would go to sleep and then wake up. So you were eat. basically in your own, you were like in Alex's own little world in a way. You Absolutely. were on your own time clock, you were on your own uh, day versus night, right? People who knew me through the process were like, you were a zombie for two years. Yeah. You know, yeah. living like that. It was, you were a different person. Yeah. Not healthy. Um, but no, you, you did it what wasn't, you had to do. You were young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. That helped a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I loved every second of it. I wouldn't mm-hmm. trade doing that for anything. Once again, you know, kind of the through line, uh, you know, of my life, it afforded me the opportunity to meet some great people, mm-hmm. um, both in my jobs and in my uh, culinary school. Mm-hmm. Um the people, once again, externship was at the same time of working and uh, towards the tail end of doing uh, culinary school. Um, that chef who I had worked at, it was the most random thing um, in the world. I was getting an oil change one day before I was going to go to sleep, and I opened up Food of Mine magazine, and it had the you know the best new chefs, quote unquote, mm. the annual um, the mm-hmm. annual group of ten. Yep. Yeah, and surprise, surprise, once from the Philly area. Out in Bryn Mawr. Um, his name is Dominique Filoni. Mm-hmm. I said, huh. That's right around the corner from where I live. I was living in Conshohocken. Um, so I was like, okay, let me just drive there. And, uh, well, let me first get in my suit, get my resume, and then drive there and uh, see if he wants somebody to, to work for him. I'll work for free because, hey, mm-hmm. I'm making a pretty penny at my other job. And that's exactly what I did. I got in my suit, walked in the back door, you know, just like is done in, in restaurants. Tradition, yeah. Yep. And he's looking at me like I got five heads. Who is this kid yeah. in the suit? Yeah. You know, talking to me right now. Yeah, yeah. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to culinary school. I read about you in this <laughs> in this yeah. magazine. You know, wanted to know if you wanted, you know, 
somebody to, if you had the opportunity yeah. for me to work here, you know, I said, you know, I love French, you know, I'm, I minored it in school. I speak a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, and then I said, you know, the magic words, I'll work for free. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, let me think about this. Are you sure you want to do this? You're you right. got to be crazy. And he's like, what do you do? I was like, yeah, I work in uh, vaccine, you know, development. He's like, no, you can't possibly want to do That's this. Why would you want to do this if you I'm, could do that? You're probably the first person who ever came to an interview in a suit before for that. Probably close. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he couldn't talk his way out of not hiring me. Right. And then the rest is history. I followed That's him so to great. three different restaurants. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it, uh, and how far did you, in the last one, you were in what position? I was a sous chef. He okay. gave me my first shot as, as manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and we opened a restaurant. Uh, if you're familiar with Philadelphia and Stephen Starr, yeah. um, at the time, this was 2000 and, geez, I can't even remember now, 2007 or 2008. Okay. Um, Park is a 250-seat French bistro at the time. Oh, on Rittenhouse Square? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's still there. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. he, he doesn't own it, though, anymore. Who? Or does he? Does Star? Star still own that? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that was the Star restaurant. Mm-hmm. I just ate there. It's so funny. to You mentioned Drexel. I was at the uh, Philly Chef's Conference in, in, oh, the, yeah. in the spring, yep. and I, had lo- I arrived on a Sunday, and I was early. And I went with the friend I was with, and we Big ate there. Big brunch spot. Yep. Big. Yeah. Big. 350 sort of seats with the uh, Philly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly who if we I had to modeled describe the, it in, oh, yeah. the whole place after. About the Sour Pastis, those yeah, type yeah, yeah, of yeah. places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, that was... You were a sous chef there. I was sous chef. That's a big I was job. the opening sous chef. Okay. So, well, look um, at you. you one of the things French. with... Yeah. Well, one of the things with language, I always joked with my parents. Yeah. I said, you know, I work in these French restaurants. Um, the thing of it, working in these fine dining restaurants is... is it's the best French restaurant that uh, South American can cook. <laughs> right. And sure enough, my first day walking into there, yeah. I'm supposed to teach the prep crew. And every single one of those people was from Mexico. None of them, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. spoke English. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. Right. So this is going to be a tough first day. Um, my partner, as an opener working in prep was actually someone who had interviewed me in my job before working at okay. Park. He, his name was Will Zuchman, uh-huh. and he was the chef at the time of one of uh, Jose Garces' restaurants oh, sure. called Tinto. Okay. Um, so he and I were working there. He worked at a Spanish place, and just from working in restaurants, he spoke better Spanish. Well, he spoke Spanish at the time. I didn't speak any. Um, so I came in the second day with a Spanish-English dictionary in my hand. And I said, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's cook some French food. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the engineer, right? This is the problem solver. Exactly. Yeah. And I said, okay, what are that the... That was the tool for the job. What are, exactly. <laughs> what are our common words? I right. quickly wrote yeah. down, okay, butter is this. Right. Oil is this. Yeah. Onions yeah. is this. Yeah. And then, wouldn't you know it, when I took the time to understand them, they took the time to understand me. Everyone mm-hmm. started opening up, and the people that I thought couldn't speak any English started speaking a little bit of English Interesting. to me. And that began me on my path to develop my management style as well. Which is, how would you describe that? It's very hands-on, and very much that example that I just spoke about. It's very um, gentle and 
I say gentle and I kind of chuckle because I'm very direct. But at the same time, I want to understand the person as much as I can. Because once I can understand the person, understand where they're from and what they've been through to get here, then I can understand how to reach them Mm -hmm. in this work environment Mm -hmm. and personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found very good luck with that. Um, I found a lot of respect for having that approach. And then my personal approach, which comes from my father and my mother, Mm. um, in that, you know, I'm fairly hardworking um, and leading with that example. One thing that reinforced reinforced this style is my time at Union Square Hospitality Group. Yeah. So how Um, did you get to New York? uh, Well, so... I had worked at Park for a little bit and done a lot. Mm-hmm. Restaurant opening is mm-hmm. tough, mm-hmm. right? So my days were long and hard, mm-hmm. um, and I worked a good portion of the way through there. And I just felt like my time was, not that my time was coming to an end, but I could see myself doing something a little bit different yeah. or moving on. Yeah. Um, and one of my life goals was to live over on the West Coast in California, mm. possibly, or move to New York City and try and make it there. Right? Okay. You can make it there, you can make it anywhere, this is right? another one of these great facial <laughs> expressions. That right? was like, so, uh, yeah, bright lights, big city. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, just like leaving my other career, I was like, okay, well, this is the time. You know, I got to put up and shut up, so I'm going to do it. Lucky like a boy my theme song and break music is from After School Specials album Double Barrel Single Entendre, which is available on iTunes. Next year, Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio, for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and wish HRN a happy birthday. Welcome back. We're going to get you to the rest of our interview with Chef Alex Harris in just a moment. But first, a reminder, we are doing our first live show Saturday, January 12th at 2 p.m. at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. It is part of the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. Our headliner guest is Tom Calicchio. You all know who that is. And then we're going to have a panel, Brooklyn Then and Now, with three Brooklyn-based chefs, Greg Backstrom of Olmsted and Alex Raj of Lavara and St. Julivert, and Alan Harding who was one of the real pioneers of the contemporary Brooklyn dining scene starting about 20 years ago with a restaurant some people might remember called Patois. We're also going to have a band composed of some of the original 
members of After School Special, which does our theme music. They will be playing from doors open until the show begins, and then they'll be playing our theme and break music live. It's going to be a great time. If you want to get tickets, visit my website, tokeland.com slash appearances, or just visit our Instagram page, at Chef Podcast. Go through the link in the bio, and it'll take you to a link where you can get more information and tickets. Also, be sure to use the promo code ANDREW, and your ticket will drop from $15 to $10, which I think is an amazing price for two hours of entertainment. So that's that. Please do follow us on Instagram, at Chef Podcast, again, as the handle. You can also subscribe to the show via Stitcher or iTunes, and that is probably the easiest way to keep up with us. Our new shows will just drop into your feed. And with that, I'm going to return you to the rest of my interview with Chef Alex Harris. I hope you enjoy the rest of it. I decided to... Uh, moved to the city, which took a little while. I was commuting from Philly for a little bit, staying at my parents uh, While a little bit. While you were job hunting or working? Both. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was tough. Driving or the Amtrak? Driving. Oh my yeah, because I had a car. You know, I'm from New Jersey, and mass transit wasn't, you know, commuting was a thing, but, like, not from that far. Like, yeah. you know, um, I love my car, and I love driving, so yeah. Yeah. I drove, you okay. know. Early in the morning, and I'm yeah. leaving at 4.30, 5 o'clock to get up to the city by 7. Yeah. And, you know, um, Oof. Okay. getting it done. Good for you. Um, but, yeah, uh, my first job uh, was at the Pierre Hotel. Okay. Right? Great first job doing something that every time I go into it and leave, I say that I'm never going to do it again. And this was working in a union environment. Oof. Um, so, uh, my production experience at Merck was union, um, as well as my QA experience at Wyeth union. Um, so I knew what union was about at the Pierre hotel. I was part of an opening team of a popular British concept, um, mm. um, that was moving in to run the restaurant, um, here. Yeah. Um, it was called Le Caprice. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone there was straight from uh, the restaurants in England, in London. Mm -hmm. Um, None of them had any experience with this union concept before. Um, As well, there was some arrogance to the company, um, which made them struggle a little bit in their relationship with um, the union and with their relationship with their guest okay um which i said early on like i I started as a cook um and i said hey i have such and such experience you know so i can help if you have any questions they Mm -hmm. said yeah 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 they don't know me from anybody else and i'm sure they heard the same thing from all the people they hired in Mm -hmm. new york so i can't blame them for that um but ultimately very quickly they saw that i was who I said I was. That's another thing that I, I like to come back to. That's one thing when I sat and met with Ho- Jose Garces when I applied for a job there. Mm-hmm. He was a friend of mine, um, one of my former uh, chefs. Yeah. He was the one that got me that interview. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, he knows of me. So I was fairly confident in yeah. going to, into that interview. Yeah. And he looked at me with a straight face 
and said that to me and kind of broke down any confidence that I had when he said, well, if you are who you say you are, then you will have no problem at my mm-hmm. restaurant. And I was like, wait a minute, you, I'm, I thought I was family. I thought you, yeah, <laughs> I right. thought you knew me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, it's something important, you know? Yeah. Um, so I definitely, it made me understand the value of putting up or shutting up. Well, right? this is right. You mentioned Tony Bourdain, right? One of the things I love that he used to say that he loved about kitchens was that they are straight meritocracies, right? If you don't, if you're not working, if you don't have the good, like you will be found out in one service. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. You can work in an office for years and, and look h- like you're doing something and, and actually maybe either be bad at your job or lazy or not getting anything done. I mean, I used to work in a company, you used to work in a company, you know, office situation that doesn't happen in kitchens. You'll you'll be gone within two three days. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I immediately you know made friends with the people who are you know the right people and me making friends with, which are the higher ups in yep. that company, yeah. and then obviously the chefs and the sous chefs there. And once the people who had regular uh, their full time jobs mm. over in London had to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I gave them pretty much no choice to say, okay, we want this person to be, you know, our sous chef, you know, promoted to our sous chef that we need mm. um, in our restaurant. So that was my first chef job in New York. You know, and it didn't take long. You know, it was, you know, after opening, it's probably only a couple of months where I was, you know, on hourly as a cook mm-hmm. and then then as a as a chef mm-hmm. um met some great friends um working there um mm-hmm. one of which works at lafayette now okay another one of which actually two of which are married and they moved back to israel wow. where they open their own restaurants okay. um right now in a lot um both very good friends of mine that's great um and they told me a lot once again they told me a lot about myself um i always preached that i wanted to uh cook french Right, I wanted to work at a French restaurant, and we always cooked for each other. You know, when we were yeah. at work, you know, in our downtime, in between services, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. On the holidays, you know, mm-hmm. I cooked a, what we normally cook for Christmas breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, for my friends from Israel, and they said, you know, if you do this, why do you keep telling me that you want to make French food? You want to cook the food from your country. You want to cook American food. What was the breakfast? Oh man! Since that's what led into this comment, I brought in some food um, that my father got from North Carolina when the last time he was there, uh, from you know the area that his parents um, uh-huh. settled to. Um, so he brought back some country sausage and country ham. I made grits. Uh, yeah. um, you well, know, you I know when you said North Carolina, the exactly. first place my mind goes was grits. Yeah, yeah. So I, I made that kind of a breakfast, just a big traditional American breakfast. Yeah. They both had two bites. They were like, "This is awesome," but we don't eat like. Oh, I made buttermilk biscuits. Yeah. You know, uh, red eye gravy. Uh-huh. You know. Um, so they were like, "This is all really great," but we don't eat like this. Like, and I knew it, but Quantity. I was like. Both quantity and style in the morning. So it's heavy food yeah, in the morning. Right, right. You know, theirs is coffee and something light. And, yeah, you know, right. the meal is later. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I remember great meals with him. Um, them, I say he and his wife. So this is Liar and Imbar. Mm-hmm. Um, and them having small bites, you know, not 
tapas, but just many small plates mm -hmm. of dishes where it's, you know, a smoked fish, a cured ham, there's some yeah. olives, there's a salad, you know, things like this. Bread, of course, yeah, like cheese, what people, of course. Metze or whatever you want to call exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Much yeah. like that. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, some wine through that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a great, you know, eye-opening experience mm. with that leading me to some of the dishes that I make here at Emma's Torch. Um, but anyway, um, making things like that, um, opening their eyes to another thing that everybody laughed at um, because we had chefs from Australia, mm -hmm. England, mm -hmm. Ireland, um, Israel, American cheese. They said, you mean Kraft Singles? I said, my friend, let me show you American cheese. And I opened up the... Uh, the Liz Thorpe book from uh, Murray's. Mm -hmm. Can't remember the title of it. Um, but I said, my friend, this is American cheese. And I bought them some, you know, I bought them a couple of different things. I bought them, you know, some of the, the, the things that you can think of if you think about, you know, the big names, right? I brought them some uh, Humble Fog right. goat cheese. Calgary um, Creamery. Yep. Yeah. I brought them some stuff from Rogue. Yeah. Um, Red Hawk. Yeah. Uh, and some stuff from Jasper Hill. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think you could get something like this yes. in the United States. Yeah. You know, it kind of opened up their eyes to American food not being fast food burgers and, yeah, and pizza, yeah. Yeah, right. but actually being yeah. what food is everywhere else mm -hmm. regional, seasonal, yeah. artisanal yeah. food. Yeah. Good food. Yeah. Um, and so, long story short, they were like, yeah, Americans, your play, not French. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why you have this dream, but it should be something else. And I said, huh, well, now that you say it, let me try it. Let me see where it takes me. Because another thing that I like to do, I liked a lot of house-made things. Mm -hmm. So I'd done a lot of experimentation there with making bacon, smoking salmon, yeah. doing a lot of different pickles, yeah. you know, that type of thing. Um, so I said, what's, more, what's American out there? found my way to Blue Smoke. Mm. Um, I interviewed there and said, this is great. My friends tell me that American food is where I want to be. What's more American than barbecue? Yeah. Turns out really nothing. Nothing yeah. is. They don't do American barbecue anywhere else. Right. Well, it's like when people say jazz is the one true, or used to say it's not true anymore, but at one time people say that's the one Amer true American Music, absolutely, right? and that was oddly enough, that's what was downstairs to my oh, restaurant, right? right? Yeah, There's right. The For jazz people club in New York. There was the yeah. jazz club downstairs. Yeah, right. Um, so that you know, outside of being turned on to a lot of the great resources of um, the home office of Union Square Hospitality Group, there was the jazz club downstairs. Mm -hmm. There were all of the events that we did, like the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party. Mm -hmm. And then all of the language experiences, training my cooks, who were all Spanish-speaking, mm. um, and the culinary experiences, working with Live Fire mm -hmm. and learning barbecue. Mm -hmm. And once again, meeting great people mm. there. Um, it was just the best experience for That's me. Great. And really led me, the story goes, that I tell everyone, it led me to do what I'm doing now at Emma's Torch. Okay. Well, this is perfect. I was about to say, how did we get you from there to here? I do want to ask you, though, this is, uh, uh, and this also segues, I guess, because you just alluded a minute ago to your menu here, right? You know, 
that restaurant park in Philadelphia, right? Mm -hmm. And you talk about your love of French food. I'm wondering if when you started cooking the way your friends were telling you to, this Israeli couple, if if it became more of a what we were talking about before, more of an intuitive, expressive exercise for you. You know, I think about that restaurant park, which I do like, but it is a very it's a traditional restaurant. The it's menu's very classic French bistro. Yes, that's and what it is. And I do love that, and I think that's <laughs> fine. But I, um, it is interesting to me that you gravitated toward a style of food that was so codified, right? And then when you shifted, did you did you start to find yourself freestyling a little bit more, or or going a little bit more your own way, or taking some more liberties than you did when you cooked in the French medium? To me, that has to be the nature of your education in cooking. And this is another thing that I teach a little yeah. bit. You know, <clears throat> to under to get to where you want to go, mm -hmm. you have to understand the classics, right? Yeah. They're the classics for a reason. Classic flavor pairings, mm -hmm. all right? You have to understand them. Why does this go with this? And why does everyone keep going back to it? There's a reason. Mm -hmm. And once you understand that reason, then you can take a riff anywhere you want to yeah. off of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. This classic flavor pairing is X, Y, and Z. The reason why you put Y in there is that punch of acid to cut through the fattiness of X. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I want to do something that's like X. I want to use this acidic thing that's like Y. Yeah. And make it all my own. Mm -hmm. You can do that because you understand the classics. You've internalized it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Talk to me about Emma's Torch. So, uh, where do you want to start? Menu or curriculum? or what do you Let's use? just start with mission. Why don't you just tell, give people the elevator pitch for Emma's yep. Torch? So, Emma's Torch is twofold. It is a classroom... Um, and real-life culinary training um, environment um, for our students who happen to be refugees, asylees, and victims of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, I say that it's twofold because Emma's Torch is our name of our organization, and it is also the restaurant. So when you walk into 345 Smith Street, you step into the restaurant, Emma's Torch. Um, our downstairs kitchen is where, during the daytime, we have our classroom environment. Mm -hmm. So here is where we start to talk about all of the basics that go with entering this new environment of working in the culinary industry and working in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Now, as we do this, we also work on principles that allow our students to, a number of things, right? Allow them to be confident, express themselves. And with their confidence and their ability to express themselves, they have a newfound sense of pride and independence. This is our goal. Right? It says on the window on the outside of our uh, restaurant, empowering 
refugees through culinary education. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do. That's the mission. That right? is as succinct as it gets. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And you guys, you guys uh, started your first. You, when did you start your first class here? Here in this location, yeah. Um, we entered the our current space yeah. in April, in the beginning of April. Okay. Um, and then shortly thereafter, um, we started with our first cohort of students. Mm -hmm. um, we opened our doors officially to guests on Mother's Day. Okay. And then had our actual grand opening on the 8th of June. Okay. Um, so very quickly after yeah. first stepping foot, yeah. we were actually serving guests. And the, and the program here is roughly a an eight-week, two-month so situation, the, right? The program, how it lines up is, yes, it is eight weeks. In the first eight weeks, we, once again, we spend our time learning about the basics of what this relationship is, mm -hmm. right? It's a relationship between you as a cook and your chef, right? Who is this person that you call chef, right? And I give them my definition. Chef is a teacher, a leader, and a mentor. Mm -hmm. And what things should you be looking for from this chef? And if you don't have these things, then you should maybe look for another chef because your chef is looking for something from you. Mm -hmm. And typically it's going to be labor, mm -hmm. right? It's a two-way street. You need to get something out of this relationship or all you're doing is just, you know, pounding rocks. Or, yeah, marking you know? time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, knowledge is another thing that we're stressing during these first few weeks. Um, so we're talking a lot about vocabulary, how to read your recipe, and math, right? This is the empowerment part knowledge, mm -hmm. understanding some of these basic cooking concepts, mm -hmm. right? Not just what the words look like, but what it looks like in the pan, mm -hmm. what it looks like in the oven, mm -hmm. right? And then it's the repetition of it all, right? Kind of made reference to it before, but working on the muscle memory, mm -hmm. right? It's all got to be second nature. Yeah. So the repetition in this first four weeks is very, very important. Yep. And then from there, we move on to the next four weeks of our eight-week program, right? This is where you're actually working in the restaurant. You're cooking for guests right from day one, right? Five yeah. o'clock on your first day, that first ticket comes in, you're making the food for that guest, right? Yeah. Our goal, you know, is 80 to 90% of the food is being made by the students, if it's any other way, then we're failing, right? right? Everybody knows what my food tastes like. Yeah. I've made it for, you know, guests in several different restaurants, mm -hmm. right? Um, you want to eat the work of the students that are working here. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the only way that we're successful. So your role during your role during service becomes what? Are you the when you said it, whatever percentage you just named? The, 90. Are you there to just are you there with the butterfly net to sort of catch the mistakes before they hit the ground? Is yes, that sort of yes, a, your yes main and role? No. Yes and no. My philosophy is that you have to make mistakes or you're never going to truly learn. Mm -hmm. You're just going to be doing what somebody tells you to do. Mm -hmm. And that's important to an extent, mm -hmm. right? One thing that I said yesterday when we're uh, grilling some bread that accompanies our uh, lamb meatballs, mm -hmm. I'm not going to let 
a piece of burnt bread ruin my day or your process? Mm-hmm. The bread's burnt. I don't care. To illustrate that, I was the one that burnt the bread. Burnt it twice. <laughs> right. But I'm talking. This is day one. Yes. I'm talking about some of the concepts yes. to multiple people at the time of cooking. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe something slips my mind on that hot part yeah. of the grill. This is what they need to understand. Yeah. They're already nervous. Yes. Great. Yeah. We're just making dinner. Right. Yeah. That's it. So I should say you gave the address, but we're in the sp- for people who know Brooklyn. This is the space that was the original Nightingale Nine space. The original Nightingale before Nine before it moved. Then it was and then it Wilma was Jean. Wilma Jean, yep. which was largely known for my dear friend Rob Newton's yep. fried chicken. Fried chicken. Yeah. Yep. And uh, my favorite thing there was the chicken on a stick. Personally, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so that that this is the. Uh, humanitarian side of the restaurant, right? But this is a functioning restaurant. People come in, they they pay for dinner. Absolutely. G- give me give me one or two dishes. Like if someone's listening to this and going, this all sounds great, but you know, it's my dinner. Tell me one or two dishes that you were particularly fond of, or that people or that have become house favorites. So right now, this is Emma's torch in a nutshell. Right? We have two dishes on the menu. Um. Actually, I'll give two dishes and a side dish. Um, our red snapper. Mm-hmm. Partially inspired by cooking from the South. Partially inspired by cooking from Guinea, the West Coast of Africa. Right? In the West Coast of Africa, they'll eat a lot of fish, right? As people do sure. on the coast yeah. of a country. And they have something that's called riz au gras. Okay, if you understand French, fat rice, right? Um, it is a rice dish, mm-hmm. kind of tomatoey, a little bit spicy, root vegetables thrown in there, kind of like a similar to how uh, you might think of a jambalaya, right? Um, but they eat it with roasted fish on top. The vegetables are a little bit different. How would you eat this in the United States, right? If you were down south, you'd have a piece of fish like that, sure. Yeah. But maybe our Rio Gras changes the Hop and John, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Hop and John is American rice and beans, mm-hmm. right? In a in a very simple term, right? Isn't that also a traditional New Year's dish? Am I right? Isn't that supposed um, to be a in lucky of it, dish at the In and of year? itself, the black-eyed peas, okay. right? So a couple of different things. We'll get into the other part okay, of New sorry. Year's um, that was going to be my other okay, example. sorry. But yes, black-eyed peas. I'll be over here shutting up. Black-eyed peas yeah. are for luck, yeah. therefore change, yeah. right? Yeah. In the new year. Yeah. Um, so yes, we do our red snapper with uh, over um, Hop and John yeah. with um, sauce piquant, which okay. is... Spicy sauce, mm-hmm. right? Another dish, collard greens. We're talking about the new year and talking about luck. Collard greens, green, all right? Those are for cash money, right? Dollars mm-hmm. in the new year. So, Oh, is that luck. what that is? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't, realize, yep. I didn't, I didn't know that was the Yeah, connection. new year's, okay. that's what we always have. Like, I got okay. peas and I have collard greens. Okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, collard greens had to go on the menu. It's of the time, right? Greens, the fall, mm-hmm. braised greens at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again... Influence from a wide variety of countries coming into the American menu-inspired food. Mm-hmm. Um, 
from the Congo. There is a dish called fumboa. Fumboa is made from a small leaf raisin green, kind of like a, a cross between like collard greens in yeah. texture and the size and texture of baby spinach. Mm -hmm. So kind of in between. Mm -hmm. um, they make that dish similar as you would braised collard greens, mm -hmm. right? Little onion, little garlic. Mm -hmm. And here they throw a little bit of peppers and tomato, mm -hmm. sure. Um, and braised in stock. What finishes this dish, um, something if you think about African cuisine, um, is habanero, so chili, and peanut butter, mm. ground nut, very mm -hmm. important, right? Yep. Peanut butter finishes this dish. Something, and I was just talking about this uh, last night during dinner service, it's odd that you have two things, peanuts and collard greens, both coming you know, from that kind of African root mm -hmm. in when you talk about Southern cuisine. Mm -hmm. But I can't think of anywhere in my experience in which they put the peanut with the collard green no. until one of my former students, Caroline, um, made this dish for her graduation event. And I oh, said, great. Caroline, this is amazing. Yeah. With your permission, I would like to put this on the menu. That's so great. And that's what I did. And it's fairly well received. That's great. Um, so yeah, coming in for dinner, those are, those are two good ones. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Good. At the same time, um, with American food, with other cuisine influence, we also continue to teach the classics, right? We have a red wine marinated short rib. Mm -hmm. You'll get that in any French restaurant mm -hmm. or a red wine braised piece of meat. Mm -hmm. You'll get that in any mm -hmm. French bistro. Yep. Um, in the city, yep. especially right now. Yeah. We do it with a celery root puree. We call it a puree. It's made in the style of soubise. Mm. So another classic technique that we can mm -hmm. kind of instill. And then we talk soubise, about- Soubise, for people who don't know, this is like a cream, it's like cream, a cream preparation. onion, yeah, 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 yeah. sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, we teach about, we teach about classic flavor pairings and teaching and cooking from the season, right? Mm. So not only is it paired with celery root, fall root vegetable but we'll also pair it with some diced root mm -hmm. vegetables carrot turnip rutabaga yeah. celery root uh, parsnip all of those things go with it too and last but not least throwing that classic french in there garnish with parsley leaf right yeah. so parsley those root vegetables it's all there sounds great so here's the french yeah. part of your training yeah it's great um so yeah yeah, well, it's also, this is kind of like your, I always, you know, menus are biographies, right? Like, this is also, including the fact that your student has a dish on there, this is sort of your story in a document in a way. Yeah. In a way. What do you get, what do you get from this? This is clearly, I mean, you know, I'm thinking this, this trajectory that you've described, you know, you started off in the, in the, uh, pharmaceutical world, and then you make this brave decision to go into cooking, and now you've gone into this, I mean, it is still cooking. You are a chef here, but there is this huge um, responsibility you've taken on. It has to be. I'm, 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 it has to be a safe assumption that it's incredibly gratifying. Um, Absolutely. But what, what do you what do you get from this? What do you what's what makes this all worth it for you? My old boss tasked me with trying to figure out where do I go from here, 
right? I was at Blue Smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the chef de cuisine there. My boss was Jean-Paul Bourgeois. He's the current executive chef of the Blue Smoke concept. And he would always ask me in our one-on-ones, he would say, hey, Alex, you know, what's the next step for you? Where can I help you get to? And I was always fairly silent. You know, because, you know, you do the typical thing working in restaurants. Okay, you work as if you're the next step up. So I run my every day trying to be like I was the executive chef. Okay, great. This is how I'm going to do this. But was that what was speaking to me at the time? Did I want to be the executive chef of Blue Smoke once Jean-Paul left? I did fall in love with barbecue in my time there. But was that really what was you know, what was going to make me sleep well at night. Not totally. I knew I still wanted to be in restaurants. And I think ultimately after thinking for years, you know, about it, you know, I felt like what I really wanted to do and what I was doing each day, both for my cooks and for my sous chefs Mm -hmm. and during lineup for, Mm -hmm. you know, the guys in the front of house, I really wanted to spend my time giving back to all of those people who gave to me mm-hmm. through my two careers mm-hmm. to get me to the point in where I was now. You know, that's what makes me happy at mm-hmm. the end of the day, right? So great. If I can, you know, spew my thousand things that might be going through mm-hmm. my head at the moment, yeah. and you hold on to two of them, mm. and I see you put it into play. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me light up yeah. every single That's time. so great. You know, I'm also struck when you mentioned the chef saying to you, you know, what's next, right? I am struck with how many people in your life have felt uh, close enough to you, uh, cared about you enough, understood you enough in a way maybe you didn't understand yourself to speak up. And, you know, most of these um, uh, turning points you're describing were sparked by somebody saying something to you once again always very fortunate by the people around you that was how he talked to us his staff sure from the beginning from day one and there was the couple that said uh you should be cooking american there were your friends who came to your dinner parties who said i think you're gonna be a cook one day like you've had people who really uh, didn't just talk about it when they got in the car and after they said goodbye to you right they they kind of uh, said to you, hey, you know, I think you might want to think about it. That's really, I think that's rare. Very fortunate, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I have a question. Uh, it's, it's, you haven't seen it because you're, we're sitting, I don't know if I mentioned this. This is the office here. It's also a half a storeroom. Um, and I'm facing the door that leads from the kitchen area. You have your back to that. Periodically, as we've been sitting here, the door's opened. People are coming into work. We're not that far from dinner service. Uh, some have stopped and turned around before I could catch their eye. The ones who did catch my eye, I waved them in. There's a lot of tiptoeing. I am struck that these these are the cooks that you're training. These are not your typical New York City cooks who, if they needed to be in this room to get something to get ready for service, they would have come in the room, right? Yeah. And so here's what I'm wondering. When people leave here, do you either... Um, Prepare them for life out. There's a very special vibe here. There, there, you definitely feel like work, important work is being done here, right? Thank you. You can feel it. Um, uh, do you have to prepare people for what it's going to be like when they leave this nest? 
and they're amongst the sort of people with the sort of swagger and and competitiveness sometimes sometimes that that, that I'm describing. Full. Yeah, does that make sense? Because it's not that answer is twofold. Yeah. right? from the beginning, once again, um, our philosophy is full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Right, we want to expose them to everything so yeah. that they can make the decision. Right, right. they can say, okay, I want to be in that environment. Yeah. Or maybe I don't. Yeah. You know, we want to give them the confidence yes. to be able to first understand that they can make that decision and then to make it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, say that, okay, I can be comfortable in whichever environment that I decide. Yeah. And we say, okay, great. Now that you've made this decision, here's who I know. Or you tell me where you want to go and let's figure out how we can make that happen. So Mm. Emma's torch is not eight weeks and done. Okay. We talk about mentorship, right? And they're up. I told told you about the chef that I followed around. I described one of my professors at school as one of my early mentors. Well, you also gave the word mentor as one of the three pillars of being a chef. Exactly. So, you know, we try to live that as well. We're a continuous resource for our students throughout the lifetime of their career. Um, So So if someone goes out there and gets like shocked or or, or knocked on their heels by an experience or by just the, the, the... bucket of water that real life can be, yeah, right? Hopefully before it's they'll, too late. They can come talk, talk to, to you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And we've had both situations. Mm. We've had uh, students who have come and gone from a first uh, position, mm-hmm. not said anything until after they're gone. Yeah. And we said, hey, why stop talking to us? Yeah. Let us know what's going on. Right. We can be part of the process, yeah. like we told you from day one. Yeah. You know, and we've had our students who say, "Okay, I'm at this situation, and here is how I'm feeling." Mm-hmm. So great. These feelings are natural. Yeah. They're the same feelings that I had when I started. Right. And then we work through that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're. You're. I mean. You know, I always love the word family, the way it gets used in restaurants, like family, staff meals called family, family meal. meal yep. You're basically describing a family. You're building a family here. I keep saying this over and over, and I, I hope I don't sound silly when I do it or like I'm being trite. But once again, day one, we start and we say, this is your new restaurant family. Right. And then we go through all of the speak, right? Yeah. The restaurant in the culinary industry, we call the house, right? Yeah. There's the front of house and there's the back of house. Customers that come in the door aren't customers. They're our guests, Mm -hmm. right? When you talk in these terms and think about things in these ways, you start to feel a little bit differently when you step in the doors. You start to act a little bit differently as you go through your career Mm -hmm. when you think in those terms. Well, there's also, I believe, I've, I've... observed this a long time ago no one's corrected me on it i think the you know most people refer to the some people go to first name but most people refer to their parents as mom or dad or mother father whatever they do their whole life right and people refer to their chef that first mentor maybe the first two my chef and i've heard 50 year olds you know 55 year olds who still refer Thomas Keller still refers to Roland Hennon, his mentor, as his chef. He goes, Thomas Keller. There's someone out there who Thomas Keller considers his chef, right? 
That's a that's almost that's a you're basically a parental relationship of of a sort. Yes, and, and it is and, and it is also for life. It's very important to be able to have that relationship. Yeah, and some people go through long periods of time or a career without being able to have that true relationship. That's yeah. unfortunate. And it we is. want this to be a fortunate situation for yeah. them. Yeah, we want to set them up as best we can. For success. Yeah. And we want to continue to assist them through that process throughout as much time as they want to have us. It's great. Okay. Well, on that note, congratulations on everything you guys are doing here. Thank you so much. Uh, all the best for the holidays and all the best in 2019 and beyond. Thank you, you too. Thank you. All right. And that's our show for today. Chef Alex Harris, thank you for making time and giving me that interview. I really enjoyed it. Kat and Vitor of Heritage Radio Network, thank you for your extra work during this time. I hope that other than getting my shows on the air, you're enjoying some R&R. And to all of you out there in podcast land, thank you for listening. And we'll see you back here in a few days on Andrew Talks to Chefs. Mm-hmm.